I want to begin this morning by providing a little bit of a disclaimer. I am not the expert or the guru in soul care, and you might expect that from a guest speaker in a series uh, to bring this expertise, but that's not the case this morning. I am, however, someone who is really deeply honored to be participating in this series because I care deeply about this topic and about the work that it brings us to. I care so much about it because I think it is absolutely vital to the ways that we show up in our relationships with people, uh, for the ways that we show up in our contributions to community, and in the ways that we show up and play an active role in our relationship with Jesus. So even though I'm not the expert, I have found myself reflecting with some degree of curiosity and surprise at just how often this conversation of soul care and recovery for our souls has been coming up in the many different environments, in many different conversations um, that I've been in over the last couple of years. It's really no surprise that exhaustion and mental health and the need for recovery are at the forefront these days. You only need to take a quick glance at the news or maybe to do a quick Google search uh, about mental health to read the countless articles that exist indicating that demographics, um, all professions, all people in general are deeply struggling as we continue to push on throughout year three of our COVID pandemic. There was one study uh, that I read that said that in January of 2019, 11% of households reported having an adult in the house who self-identified as struggling with symptoms of anxiety or depressive thoughts. By January of 2021, just under one year into navigating a pandemic, that number was up past 42%. Add to that, some studies report numbers as high as 80% within a specific demographic who self-identify as struggling with anxiety and depression. I think that it's safe to say that as individuals and as a society, we are tired and we're worn out. We're struggling with the basics of what we are responsible for, let alone the additional weight of trying to bear some of that burden for those that we love. Those statistics or that characterization of the state of society these days is likely no surprise. Um, for sure, the large church, our church, is not immune from this exact struggle. Very likely, you are actually sitting here this morning and you know someone close to you who is struggling, or maybe you are sitting here and you're in a place of deep exhaustion and really just feeling the desperate need for recovery for your soul. This is not the life that's promised for us in scripture. And though absolutely there is no promise of easy and certainly no promise of a life free from struggle, Jesus does promise active transformation in our lives. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of God's transformation in our lives looks like the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit the Holy Spirit produces is love, joy, and peace. It's being patient, kind, and good. It's being faithful and gentle and having control of one's self. There is no law against things of that kind. The thing is, when we're tired and we're worn out or feeling burnt out, the thing that we most desperately feel like we need is for someone or for something or for God himself to swoop in and rescue us. 
It reminds me of a time when my now five-year-old was a little bit younger. I think he was three and he had a cold. He was not feeling well, but it was pre-COVID. So I know that it was just a cold. He was stuffy, congested. I couldn't breathe through his nose, but then his throat was sore. So we couldn't breathe through his mouth and just feeling really frustrated. And I remember I was in the kitchen. He was on the couch struggling through, um, and he called out really on the verge of tears, called out, can you please just help me? Can you please just help me? So relatable. Can someone, anyone help me? See, when we're feeling depleted in the very depths of our soul, what we want and what we believe that we need is for some solution to come in and rescue us. As his mom in that moment, I would have given anything to help him, to take away the frustration and to take away the sense that I was able but not willing to do something for him. And I wish that were possible. I wish the amount of love that we have from the people around us in our lives could do it for us. I wish the indescribable amount of love that Jesus has for us would do it for us. As I've thought about the state that we are in collectively and how different that feels from the full and abundant life, a life characterized by the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in us, I can't help but pay attention to the chasm between what it feels like now and what we know is possible. So that begs the question, how does God do this work of transformation in us? I think if we look at the many letters uh, of encouragement that Paul writes to the early church who were in various places of thriving or struggling, there's a really common theme. In Philippians 3 verse 14, Paul says, here he describes it like this. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 7, it says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. And in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. In the countless works of transformation in the New Testament, all of the work of the Holy Spirit begins with our action. It's active language, beginning with a determination to do, a response to the invitation, an active role for us to play, to fan into flame, to press on. And that active role results in us cooperating with God. In the breath prayer that we did earlier in the service, we reflected on our spiritual transformation as something that God does in us and something that we must do for ourselves. It's not one or the other, and it's not 50% one and 50% the other. In the design of how we cooperate with God to experience this transformed life, the formula is all of us in embracing our personal responsibility and all of God in embracing God's divine sovereignty. In our homelessness ministry, we see this most often as our friends are pursuing recovery from addiction to a substance. And we've had many conversations in the past with individuals who were experiencing addiction, who knew that they needed recovery and transformation, and sometimes would believe that leaning into reliance on God alone would be enough. This sometimes looked like the person who was struggling with an alcohol addiction, who believed that prayer and solitude would relieve them of that deep burden. 
And what we found again and again was that that prescription was not wrong, but it was incomplete. Reliance on God while neglecting personal responsibility did not result in life transformation. Similarly, someone in the throes of addiction who relied exclusively on their personal responsibility, things that they could do, like going to meetings daily or sometimes multiple times a day, reading all the self-help books that they could get their hands on, believing that they could simply grind it out in and of their own strength, did not result in life transformation. It required all of us and all of God. Our growth and our embracing of the life of love in Jesus is primarily God's work, but that is not the complete story. We're invited to, and even commanded, to take an active role in our transformation. If you're sitting here this morning and feeling the desperate need for transformation in your life, for recovery for your soul, and for rest for your weary mind, but playing a passive role and waiting for things to change or to improve, you won't experience the full and abundant life that's promised to you. That's the hard news, that only you can take responsibility for the filling of your tank. But I also have good news, and that good news is this. You absolutely can do this. I know that in the depths of struggle, it feels like you can't. Exhaustion and burnout amplify what feels hard, but the truth remains true. You can take an active role and allow God's activity in your recovery. Maybe you're sitting here and immediately objecting uh, because it might sound like I'm promoting a works-based theology in which you can work hard enough or contribute enough or be good enough, and through those actions, you can earn this life with Jesus. And we know that's not true. Ephesians 2, uh, verse 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We cannot work hard enough or be active enough in our own lives to force the work of transformation that God promises. But Dallas Willard, a well-known theologian who many of us are familiar with, um, articulates the key differential in this idea of grace. He says, grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. It would be a mistake to believe that our grace-based theology absolves us of the responsibility to put in the effort. We had one piece of good news. You absolutely can do this. And we have another. We don't have to do this alone. Though it might sound a little bit counterintuitive because we are saying that no one else can do it for you, and that's true, but we can and we absolutely should do this hard work in the context of community. We lean on people in our lives who offer support for us in the reciprocity of friendship, people who can help to support us through encouragement and through honest accountability. Around here, a lot of that comes uh, in the environments of our life groups that meet with a frequency of contact and a depth of conversation that is sometimes rare for us to find in other friendships. I've been in many conversations with people who I love very dearly and for whom I would give anything to alleviate this burden that they're feeling at any given time. So it's not, it's absolutely not out of a shortage of love that the people around you have for you it simply just does not work that anybody but you can be responsible for your soul care. 
So what does it mean uh, for you to be an active driver in your own soul recovery? What does it mean for you to live out the all of you part of the polarity, all of you and all of God? Practically speaking, I think it means a couple of things. It means you have to know, we have to know what the things are that will fill our tank. Mandy started some of this work with us last week, and maybe you already over the last seven days have spent some time beginning some of that process. We have to know how to check in on the state of our soul. We have to know how to answer that question, maybe not in this version of the how goes it with your soul, but we have to know how to answer that question when the people in our lives who are in our lives with love and support and accountability are checking in with us. The good news is that you, and maybe only you, know the depths of your soul and the things that you need to fill your tank. Further to that, the other good news is if you don't quite know that yet, the process of exploring those things might actually be surprisingly life-giving for you. As you begin the work to explore the things, uh, it might be an exercise that you find quite enjoyable. Maybe um, Maybe you get to play around with some exercises or some disciplines that can give you a deep sense of renewal, and through that process, you might just discover that you are really excellent at some things or that you deeply love and appreciate and deeply enjoy others. I think the other thing, the next thing that it means for us to be an active driver in our own soul care is that it means we have to take action to do the things that will genuinely result in rest and recovery. I remember the early days when I was working in the shelter um, and I really did not have a lot of accountability in my life at that point. I didn't live with anybody. I lived alone. I wasn't in a relationship. I didn't have my kids yet. And I found myself in a bit of a dangerous spiral for me where I was desperate for rest. I was desperate for rejuvenation. Um, But I was kind of in this cycle of doing only and exclusively the things that I believed would help to fill me up. So I would get home from a difficult day at work or a difficult week at work and would begin to justify for myself, you know, I'm really tired, so what I need is just to hermit at home and do um, nothing but watch movies. Or I think I'm going to have junk food for dinner and cancel all my plans because all of that is too much and what I need is to rest. And day after day, week after week, what what I never felt was rest and recovery I actually was becoming more and more exhausted as the days and weeks went on. I found myself in this spiral. I was giving myself exactly what I thought and what I believed I needed at that time. But in hindsight, really what I was doing was following the path of least resistance. I was doing the things that seemed easy to do, but not the things that were going to result in recovery for me. Through some soul work, I came to realize that the things that filled my tank were not necessarily the things that I wanted to do when I was feeling really drained. They were things that I felt like I needed to do or that I wanted, the things that I wanted to do weren't the things that were going to actually help me. For me, the things that filled my tank were things that counterintuitively actually took an amount of energy. Things like experiences of corporate worship or gatherings uh, with my extended family. For me, the thing is, is that when I'm feeling run down, even the act of coming to church on a Sunday, in order to engage in those things that will fill me, that step alone of showing up is an act of discipline. Further than that, once I'm actually here, 
Opening my heart and engaging in worship is sometimes an act of discipline. But when all else feels like a little bit too much, those are the exact things. Those small steps are the exact things that we absolutely can do, that you absolutely can do. So knowing what is going to fill us up is step one. And what comes next is a whole bunch of micro steps that we can take to posture ourselves as open and inviting to God's transformational work in us. Lastly, being an active driver in my own soul care means doing the work to develop a plan to see how I will or how we can prioritize self-care. I've been involved in our homelessness ministry for 15 years now, and for years it felt like a common theme of conversation with our staff was this issue of burnout and exhaustion. And for a really long time, we actually did have a lot of work to do to support environments that were sustainable for our team. But a couple of years ago, we did this work and were able to develop um, some self-care plans for the entirety of our team. Did that result, did having a plan result in increased improvement of health amongst our team? Not necessarily and not right away. Because what we learned was that no matter what we did to support that value for someone else, no matter how generous we were with time away or how supportive we could be with resources, how equipping we could be with training, we couldn't want something for someone that they didn't want for themselves. We couldn't do that work for someone that they needed to do for themselves. And it was not for lack of wanting to. It's not because we didn't want to be able to. In the same way that you have people surrounding you who want to be part of the support and the encouragement in your path. Look around you this morning to the people who are on this journey with you and let the truth sink into the very, very depths of your soul. You have people who love you deeply and who will be part of the way forward with you, led by you and supported by others. I use a lot of stories from my work as our executive director for our homelessness services because it's what feels relevant a lot of the time and it's what I know. Um, but I have a couple of different roles outside of the work that I do around here. In addition to my job, I am wife to John. I'm mom to Lucas and Bennett, my young kids, um, a friend, a sister, a daughter, the keeper of our home, the social convener of our household. And it would be an understatement to say that I get tired and worn out sometimes. One of the greatest gifts that was given to me early this year was actually a challenge um, given to me by a mentor of mine. She challenged me to take up the invitation that's extended to us in Matthew 11, verse 28. In the message transla translation, Jesus says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. The most powerful part of that challenge for me at that stage of my life was not the reminder of a verse that I was pretty familiar with. It, it was instead the accountability to play the active role in taking up the imitation. Collectively, we are eager for and longing to feel life and energy coursing through our veins again. This morning, I want to implore you to take up your role as the active driver in your life. Refuse to be passive. Allow God to do that transformational work 
with you. Let's pray. Jesus, there are lots of times where the burdens don't feel light, and sometimes it doesn't feel like we actually can do it. Would you please reveal to us the truth this morning that we can? Not by ourselves, and not as islands who are unconnected from one another, and certainly not as branches who are disconnected from you, the vine, but as people who bear the primary responsibility uh, for our part in our soul recovery, for people who are eager to cooperate with you in our transformation and recovery. Jesus, we know that our future depends on it, so we ask you for your wisdom in our steps ahead. We beg you for your strength when we feel ill-equipped and for your power as we partner with you. Amen.